This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, Season 2, Episode 11. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman. I should mention, actually, because I keep forgetting sometimes that this episode is brought to you, as all of them are now, title sponsor, brought to you by XS Sites. Uh, again, I'm your host, and Matthew Marister is with me here today. Yes, I am. What's up, Just dude? Very, uh, very excited for the Justified Saves episode, as always, but um, we got a ton of ton of new stories so yes it's gonna be good it's gonna be good it is our justified saves episode uh i titled it brother against brother mm. uh because there's kind of a story sort of like that it's really brother against brother-in-law against brother-in-law but <laughs> still brothers and brothers right right um some crazy stories we're gonna cover today some many of them well all of them with great lessons to be learned some good some not so good of course, we're going to highlight those and because we feel like the benefit to be gained from listening to these Justified Saves episodes is to help to hopefully not find yourself in those positions, right? Because, you know, this type of this is how effective it is or not. I don't know. It could be debated, but this is a part of mindset preparation, in my opinion, mm-hmm. right? You study other events and things that have happened to other people. And you kind of do an AAR, so to speak, on them, you know, an after action review or after action report. Okay. The, you know, which is pretty common in a number of um, industries or professions or that sort of thing. Right. So the idea is what went well, what didn't go well, what can we learn from it? And hopefully we can internalize those lessons so that if we find ourselves in a similar situation, we hopefully in that moment can go, oh, this, this reminds me of this other thing that I studied once before and I know what I should do to help avoid making a mistake or to, to, to prevail in a situation. Okay, that's what it's all about. And justified saves is just a, a word that, you know, that's what we describe here at concealedcarry.com, the idea of a defensive gun use or DGU that is a more common or colloquial term for these types of uh, incidents. I should mention that today is Wednesday, June 9th, 2021, as of the, t- the time of recording this. Um, today's episode is sponsored by our 2021 Guardian Conference, being held September 17th through the 19th. That's a Friday, Saturday, Sunday in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, at the Oklahoma City Gun Club. We have an amazing venue, guys. We have an amazing venue for this. It's 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 perfect. Like we were, Jacob and I were just completely overwhelmed with how perfect this venue is for our event. Uh, amazing people there running that facility that are completely in support of this, which is just fantastic. And then what that's enabling us to do is bringing in some of the world's best instructors to teach at this event. So for three days, you're going to have opportunities to learn from and get training from guys like Larry Vickers. Matt Little, Jeff Gonzalez, Spencer Keepers, Chuck Haggard, Brian Eastridge, host of our on-duty, off-duty podcast, Haney McMood, maybe a name you don't know, but trust me, the the dude is awesome. You're going to hear him on the podcast here soon and working on getting him scheduled. Todd Fossey doing hand-to-hand combatives type type work, uh, integrated defensive type 
stuff. That's basically the name of his company, after all. Steve Moses, whom you heard on the podcast not too many weeks ago. Andrew Branko will be there giving lectures. Samuel Millbrook, an amazing guy, an amazing instructor. And also, I'll be there teaching, and we'll have others from our organization involved in, in, in assisting and teaching as well. So, guys, an amazing event, very reasonably priced, I think. It's also a great uh, city to fly into if you need to fly in. There's great hotels. We got a great group rate uh, lined up for this event as well. Very affordable. Okay, I've been to similar events that weren't quite as uh, you know affordably affordably priced as far as airfare and uh, uh, the, the you know the, the the hotels and that kind of thing. So uh, plus. You know, we'll all be kind of if if you stay in the hotels where the rest of us will be at. There's there's really two hotels that'll be used, but they're right next door to each other, and uh, you know people can kind of travel over together and you know to the range and back. Um, we will have some shuttling services available, although I'm not entirely. I'm afraid to promise too much there. Uh, but anyway, guys, check out the Guardian Conference. Guardianconference.com is where to learn more. Get signed up. We still have the early bird price available. The super early bird price went away already. That was actually only available to Guardian Nation members, but uh, but the early bird price is still available. No promises as to when that'll go away, uh, but it won't be available forever. So check out guardianconference.com. Also, today's episode brought to you by the Range Tech Bluetooth Shot Timer. I've got mine right here. Okay, Range Tech Bluetooth Shot Timer, the smartest smart timer out there, in my opinion, works with the Range Tech app, which is free to download. You just got to have the timer for it. Uh, and our this shot timer is one of the lowest priced shot timers anywhere that you'll find that actually works and works really, really well. You know, with, through the app, you can save and track your drills and other training data. Uh, I've, I've been using it even more so than I have in the past uh, in recent times uh, using that feature, which is really cool. Um, you know, just being able to, to go to the range over a period of weeks or months and save, you know, like if I want to just work on, say, build drills, I can save all those to the same folder of sorts and go back and kind of see over time what my what my performance is. Uh, so it's really, really cool. Again, the most cost-effective shot timer product out there that also brings shot timers into the 21st century and leaves behind that old 19th century technology as mm-hmm. shot timers haven't evolved much in the last 30, 40 years. Mm-hmm. But if you want to check out the Range Tech Shot Timer, go to rangetechtimer.com rangetechtimer.com that's r a n g e t e c h t i m e r.com Well Matthew, let's get into yeah. our first stories here. Let's Why do don't you lead it away for us with this with this lead story? <laughs> All right, so this has been making its way around the internet a little bit. Uh, it happened back in June 1st. Uh, the title of this is Boy Shot After Man Returns Paintball Fire with Real Gunfire. So if that rings a bell, um, this happened in Opelaka, Florida. Um, the father here is 26 years old. He has a 10-year-old son who has a paintball gun and asks his dad, hey, I got a great idea. Will you 
put me in the in in the car and I saw some people having a party down the street and we'll we'll do a drive by um with that you know and I'll 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 use my new paintball gun and I'll shoot up these people that are hanging out out front of their their house um and the 26 year old um father does you know makes the call that I probably <laughs> might have made when I was 26 years old I don't know but um gets in the car with the son drives over um, with the sun hanging out the side of the, uh, hanging out the window. And in, in the report, uh, the article linked in the show notes, it doesn't have this bit of information, but uh, as I was doing some research, um, the, one of the articles said that the sun was dressed up like in a black hoodie and had the hood up and everything. Basically they pull up in front of this house and the sun hangs out the window, starts lighting up, uh, these people out in front of the house with a paintball gun. Um, and one of the homeowners there, or one of the people at the party, um, mistakes it for a real gunfire or a drive-by and fires and strikes, uh, the kid. He falls out of the vehicle, uh, is run over by the dad, um, and is taken to the hospital. Um, there, I haven't seen any reports that he's he he died or that he other than uh he was taken to the hospital and was stable uh the last report that i saw um but <laughs> like we started this off and I, I mean it is you know father's day is a little bit away from you know uh, today but uh it's like a week and a half away yeah i don't think this guy is going to get a father's you know, the ultimate father's day, uh, number one dad t-shirt, because this, this was horrible from the get go. Horrible. Uh, I was appalled as I read this. I mean, clearly there's uh, a lack of judgment, uh, mostly from the father. Right. Yeah. Uh, I suspect though, and again, it's no surprise considering the fact that the father's like, oh, yeah, sure. Sounds like a great idea, son. I suspect that the son felt comfortable even asking or suggesting this because there, there's some there's some uh, failures in raising uh, this child in this household um, by this father, which is really sad to see. Um, the fact that the, that the son would even think that that was like, like, Okay, we we might have considered doing that as teens when, back in the day when it was you know when, with myself. Although I I, did, I never did anything like this, uh, it might have crossed the mind a little bit. You know, I did, there was a time I did paintballing. Uh, we we enjoyed it very uh, very legally, I will say. But um, but I would if I was going to do something like this, I would have never even thought to approach my my parents about it. Like, hey, Dad, are you driving down the street so we can do a drive by shooting of this? house with my paintball gun crazy uh, the father was charged with child neglect with great bodily harm uh sounds very appropriate i would i would say considering the circumstances uh, i mean he basically created the situation and the opportunity for his son to get severely wounded um by doing something really stupid so now on the flip side matthew I think this brings up an interesting point or question. Uh, and, and what that is, is, you know, and I'm looking forward to getting my copy of a new book from Varg Freeborn called Beyond Uda, referring to the Uda loop. Uh, and I'm looking forward to what he has to say about this. But there's that whole concept of 
orientation or orienting oneself to what's going on what you know mm-hmm. uh, based on a certain set of circumstances um the the quicker we can orient and recognize and understand what's going on the better decisions we can make sooner and in this case like i can kind of understand that hey also like you're just hanging out at your house and all of a sudden you you hear pop 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 and things impacting around you and stuff like that like i can kind of understand that very initially and briefly you might be like oh my gosh we're being shot at and you look up and you see uh somebody dressed in all black and they're holding something that looks like what could be a gun or a rifle and shooting at you like i can i can kind of understand why this guy drew a gun and and shot at him mm-hmm. um at the same time like if if okay if we can see and recognize what's going on better and more quickly then we could probably quickly recognize that wait that doesn't quite look something looks a little bit off that doesn't quite look like a real gun for instance right. and i'm not saying like again i think that the response here was probably reasonable and 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 warranted even considering the circumstances i mean i wasn't there but uh at the same time would i have rather recognized it as being a non-lethal threat and not had to fire shots and injure a 10 year old child yeah i would have i would prefer that outcome for sure yeah. so i mean get, get just give that some thought and and, and understand like when we talk about positive identification of a target, this is included in that. Okay. And that means that we positively, and it's going to come up by a way, by the way, in another story uh, today, that means being able to positively recognize and understand who that individual is, what their intents are, what they're doing to us that warrants the level of force that we are, um, that we are throwing back at them. Yeah. It, this there was a story we did a couple months ago, um, w- similar, but it was an individual who was being shot at um, by somebody in a vehicle with paintball gun, and he returned fire in that situation. I think maybe this, it, it, as I was going through, and I had some of the same thoughts that you had, but I'm thinking if it were me, it's a little bit different. You might be able to um, identify that it, it, it is a paintball gun quicker than if there are other people there and they're screaming and they might be getting hit with, with different things and scream, you know, believing they're getting shot at. And so that might've complicated the, you know, the, the identifying this, um, this as a threat, a lethal threat or not, you know what I mean? Um, but like, like you said, I wasn't there. I don't know. Um, but we definitely have to say where this got started and and that wasn't good. So Mm -hmm. I think it's a mindset of, of all, all different things. We talk about real guns most of the time, but even kids with, with paintball guns, we gotta, we gotta teach them like to be safe with paintball guns, not just don't shoot yourself, but do smart things. Right. So um, that kind of goes along with gun safety and safety in general. Yep. And again, don't read too much into what I said specifically about this, other than I'm I'm just creating the opportunity for us to think and consider about the importance of identifying threats. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. That's all it is, is an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mark, you're correct. I see your comment here from what he reads. The homeowner fired one shot. Uh, so, yes, 
Uh, that is correct. He fired one shot, one shot only. The one shot did hit the uh, 10 year old boy. Uh, and I understand what you're saying, Mark. You say that he must have seen the shooter and been able to line up the shot, but seeing is not, ex- not always exactly the same as actually recognizing what you're looking at, if that makes sense. So anyway, uh, okay. Let's move on to a story out of Texas in Houston, in the Houston area. This one got quite a bit of, uh, at least I saw a bunch of social media exposure about it a few days or a week or so ago. Um, be, you know, for good reason, too. This is a very unfortunate and tragic incident. Uh, so what happened here, and, and this according to uh, an article of Matthew you wrote on texas.concealedcarry.com, um, a woman in Houston, Texas accidentally shot her, her son uh, was a six, five year old, five year old mm-hmm. child. Um, it happened because, and there's a little bit of surveillance video about it. Okay. Actually captured from like a, a doorbell camera type thing. What happens, you don't see it very clearly. You can barely even make out who's who there's a man and a woman across the street. Uh, I, I don't, I couldn't even really see that there's a child, uh, at least in the, uh, surveillance video. Um, but, uh, it starts out with a man trying to get his dog to come back. Okay. The, the dog gets out of the house, goes out the door, uh, and he's like, Hey, come on back, you know, Buster or whatever the dog's name is. Bruno. There you go. <laughs> I thought I'd <laughs> seen the name started with a B. Uh, he's like, Bruno, Bruno, you know, get, get on back here kind of thing. Right. And, uh, but Bruno is excited and he takes off, uh, apparently runs towards this woman's child. Um, it, it seems to me, Matthew watching, I'm just giving my own interpretation of this, which I think is pretty consistent with other interpretations. It just seems like it's a very excited, uh, puppy. Mm -hmm. Okay. Sure. It, it, it doesn't, the body language of the pup, uh, the sounds the pup is making, doesn't seem to be very aggressive it's more of like i'm excited i'm happy like let's play kind of thing and so anyway but this this dog uh, runs towards this woman's child she draws out a small caliber handgun i seem to recall matthew reading elsewhere it was a 22 Mm. um but but maybe that was a false report you never know but she fired three shots in the direction of the dog and one of those uh, either the shot itself or a ricochet or a fragment of a bullet impacted her five-year-old son. So, so unfortunate. Yeah. Um, she has been charged with, uh, I can't remember exactly the charge off the top of my head. Um, I believe it was a misdemeanor herself. Yeah, it's felony like discharging of a firearm recklessly. So was it a felony or was it a misdemeanor? Uh, felony. It's a felony. So was it a felony? Okay. Yeah. I thought, okay. The owner of the dog was also is, issued a misdemeanor summons. It mm-hmm. says for failing to restrain his dog. Um, but um, here, you know, the big thing here is this woman, number one, again, understanding and recognizing the, the, the reality of the situation that's occurring in front of our eyes is really, really important. Okay. And I know that, and here's the challenge, right? And we see this also with law enforcement involved shootings where you have split seconds to make decisions and we don't necessarily always make those decisions the right way every time. And there's got to be some level of understanding as to 
why a certain decision is made when it's got to be, you know, like, like you literally, again, have a split second to go this or that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, meaning in a lot of these types of cases, it's do I use my gun or do I not use my gun? Is this a threat that, that warrants the use of my gun? Again, this creates the opportunity for us to consider the idea like, w- can we see and recognize what's occurring more quickly, more accurately, more better? Okay. Um, because that's, that's a good thing. Okay. I personally do believe that we can train our eyes and our vision to see things faster and more precisely. Okay. Uh, I think there's quite a bit of science out there that, that, that demonstrates that fact. And the fact that guys like Max Michelle engage in vision training exercises to see things faster and sooner and better. Um, so I think there's something to be said for that, uh, meaning that, and I'll say this much, even in dry fire with especially like things like transition practice and stuff like that, th- those are a form of a vision exercise. But anyway, um, the other thing here too is, hey, we, we got to be aware of the fact that when there are innocents involved, when there are others that are in the environment where we are using deadly force using a, a deadly weapon like this like this is this is how serious this business is yeah because it's so easy to make a mistake and this is where it's so important that like your shooting skill because like th- that's what this is this is a f- well there's some some failure in judgment probably too arguably right mm-hmm. but this is big time a failure in shooting skill whether it's that she couldn't control the weapon very well. So it was like she, she's panic shooting and the guns recoiling all over the place and sending a bunch of errant shots, whether she was actually aiming very effectively. Uh, was she just point shooting? Uh, you know, either way, it's some sort of a shooting skill failure because yeah. you could probably make these shots, but if they're in close proximity to a, to an innocent person, like you've got to have a high degree of skill to, to be able to execute those shots. Well, yeah, I think, you know, we, we often talk about like the importance of training and people immediately think like, well, you need training because you'll be safer with the gun or you'll be a better shooter. And both of those things are true, but I think one of the overlooked things, benefits that come from training is, you know, understanding your skill, your abilities and being able to make decisions or start to use the gun in a decision-making process. And for me, like I saw this story and most of the people commenting were talking about, were focusing on, is it, was it a legally justified or was it justifiable? Was it a justified shoot? And I think that that kind of misses the point. And the point is, is was she able to make the shot successful, take the shot successfully without injuring her child? And that could be, proximity it could be her skill level it could just be you know she wasn't able to because of the dynamics of the the dogs moving too fast the kids moving too fast and just physically it she couldn't take the shot so like i think we need to look at scenarios and and you know not necessarily jump to well that was legally justified so you but but like just kind of look at it and say what are my skills? Would I be able to shoot this small dog, this small puppy that's running around and, and jumping towards my child or how fast and how, how far away, what are the angles? And then decide you have to be able to make the decision to squeeze the trigger or not. 
you know, mm-hmm. just because you're justified or you, you know, doesn't mean that you can take the shot because if you're not, you don't have the possessive skills, you end up potentially injuring, you know, your son or daughter or whatever. So, I mean, here's the truth. And, and John here, you know, comments, it sounds like panic. And I'll sometimes use the phrase panic shooting. Um, here, here's the truth. The more we train and the more we develop particular skills, I think this is applies to any skills, so not just shooting. It could be hand-to-hand skills. It could be all sorts of things. You know, just just phys- just being physically fit, for instance, uh, and in good physical condition. You know, the more we train and practice and develop skill or competence in a thing, the more confidence that comes along with that. And what that leads to is better decision-making, mm-hmm. right? Because it's hard to make well-informed decisions sometimes when you don't know where your own personal limits are, right? And so you, it may cause you to make a decision that, put, that pushes you beyond your limits of capability or performance. And so you do something like this and you make, number one, poor decisions about, you know, the tactical situation, but also you choose to exercise deadly force against an animal that you don't have the skill to make those shots without putting someone else in harm's way. Mm -hmm. Right. So breeding skill and competence breeds confidence, which breeds better decision-making. You see that all the time. Like Matt, you know, you know, like I know, like you've probably seen the, whether in person or whether through like on body cameras uh, of officers that you're like, this dude switched on. And I say that meaning like he knows what he's doing. He's completely in control. Okay. Because, and I, a lot of times that's because he's got a high degree of skill or at least, and, and, and he knows what that skill level is. He knows what he can and cannot do physically but also legally would be the other aspect too, right? Mm-hmm. That's super, super important. Yeah, and because about. yeah, because if you don't possess a skill to take the shot, maybe I mean we, I'm sure a lot of the people listening uh, remember seeing the video of the dude grabbing that bobcat that was attacking his wife, right? I mean, he just grabbed bobcat, picks it up, and chucks it, right? So like, if you if you understand your skills and your, your skill set, and you're like, I can't shoot this animal you know, my next, what do I go to? Well, I'm going to physically grab this animal or, you know, stick my arm in its mouth and then pull my gun out and contact shoot this thing in the head. I might get bitten, but you know, it's better than me cranking off rounds because I can't do that. Like Mm -hmm. I I don't possess a skill set. So it gives you actually a kind of a hierarchy of things that you can do to solve the situation, not just pull out the gun and hope I crank off some rounds and hit the dog. Yep. Yep. Now, before we got into that story, I should have mentioned that we are in the segment that we refer to as what not to do. Okay? <laughs> so that is, this, this whole story is a, there's all kinds of what not to do lessons to be taken from it. In case that was not clear, this is not what we would consider a justified save. This is one that, that yeah, we, there's some lessons to take from it that didn't things didn't go as well as they should have been. In fact, I would argue that there's probably a lot of other things, a lot of different ways of handling the situation that would have resulted in no fire, no shots being fired whatsoever, and we wouldn't even heard about this. Mm-hmm. 
I'm going to move. I'm going to take this next one too, if you don't mind, because it's yeah. comes from my home state. So I feel a little, you know, yeah, nostalgic talking about <laughs> something from my state, even though this is a also what not to do story. The headline is Grumpy Man in Jail After Shooting Trespasser in Head, which is a great headline, Matthew. Well done. <laughs> Matthew wrote this up on idaho.concealedcarry.com. This happened in Preston, Idaho, which is right down in the bottom southeast corner of the state. I've been through Preston a number of times. In fact, I just drove through there not too long ago. Um, this is quite a story. So basically, here's how this goes down. I'm going to try to keep this brief. But you had a woman and her friend. I think there's two two women um, driving together. They're out for a drive. And they were looking. They, they, they were quite literally looking for like, hey, like, here's a great road. Let's go explore. and Let's drive this this road and see what there is to see kind of thing. That's like quite literally what they're doing, uh, according to the reports. Well, they turned onto a road that was unmarked. Uh, and according to them, they did not see anything marking it as private property or anything suggesting, you know, no, no trespassing, that kind of thing. They didn't, they claim to have not seen any signs. So whether they are there or not is irrelevant uh, as far as like they end up up, up this road. Um, and, and, you know, it, doesn't, it sounds like they did not intend to trespass on this man's property. At some point, though, a 63-year-old man approached them at a high rate of speed on his four-wheeler, and he was aggressively screaming at them. In fact, he was telling them, like, give me the keys to your vehicle. You are trespassing here. You are on my property. Uh, and, and I think his attitude was, you're trespassing. I am going to have you arrested and to ensure you can't get away from me, okay, because I want you arrested, I'm going to try to take possession of your vehicle, of your keys. They didn't want to do that, right? And so they did not hand the keys over. It says, the, and the man, okay, the, this is the property owner, admitted that he reached into the car and grabbed the steering wheel. The driver female driver, she stated that she was frightened, probably reasonable considering circumstances, and she hit the gas in an attempt to flee from the out-of-control property owner. At this point, everyone involved admits, so this is not without, this is, this is, this is without question, um, that the property owner at this point draws out his Taurus Judge handgun and fires a single shot at the driver of the vehicle and apparently was using 410 shot shells because the driver was struck by two of the pellets from the shot shell. She was struck in the head, it says. She started bleeding. Um, she, her, uh, her pass, or she and or her passenger uh, called 911. They actually exchanged seats so that the passenger could then drive because, again, the driver, the initial driver is wounded and bleeding from the head. Pretty scary stuff. Uh, the homeowner admits he lost his temper, uh, acknowledged his unreasonable actions. He probably should have spoken to an attorney. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I mean, like it's one. I mean, I. Okay. First of all, I believe in standing up, you know, and being responsible for one's actions at the same time, like even when you make mistakes and you know when you make mistakes, you should probably speak to an attorney and uh, let them advise you as you, because it, it's not about being found guilty or not. It's about certain things not, not getting blown out of um, really going against you, maybe beyond proportion of what they maybe should. 
um, everyone deserves a fair trial and it's hard. It's harder to get a fair trial if you open your mouth and jibber jabber away, because you may even describe things inaccurately from what you think, or, or you may describe things in a way that this is what I think I did. This is what I think went down. And maybe you yourself as a first party participant in this still get something wrong. And that could go further against you. That's, that's, that's really probably the bigger point. So that's the big thing here is, you know, two women find themselves on a road they don't believe is private property. Turns out that it is. This man tries to confront them and keep them there so they can be charged with trespassing, uh, tries to take control of their vehicle. They try to get away. He fires a a round, a shot shell at them and wounds, um, you know, arguably any, any head wound from a projectile is a serious wound. So it appears that she's going to be totally fine, but uh, traumatic experience. And this man is going to jail probably for a long time. And this is one of those things, Matthew, like I personally believe that this dude didn't wake up that morning thinking like today I'm going to criminal, you know, like today I'm going to do criminal stuff. I think this is somebody that, like he said, lost his temper, didn't have the right mindset, the right temperament to handle himself in a stressful situation like this that maybe a, could have uh, taken a different approach. Like, hey, who are you? And what are you doing here? Oh, we're sorry. We didn't know this was private property. We'll turn around and go home now. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. All right. Mistakes happen. Have a nice day. That, I guarantee you, that would have been a lot better for this guy. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, it, it, there's so much to take away, and I don't want to, like, we have a bunch of stories, but, like, the only thing I... I, I one of the story, one of the things I want to pull out of here, and you hit like the mindset and, and and the temperament and everything that we we talk about all the time, but also four ten shot shells are <laughs> not really great self defense. Um, bu- aren't ballistically great for self defense. Um, it's it's a cool. The judge is a cool gun to, to shoot, and it's fun and and it's neat, but um, it's probably not the ideal self defense firearm. Um, this woman got you know, yeah. shot in the head. Um, and it, we don't know how far the distance, but re- it must've been relatively close. Right. Um, there was damage to the vehicle, um, and things like that. So it wasn't like this was a 20 yard shot. Um, but it's just, it, it's not really a ballistically great firearm. I, it does take, um, um, 45 Colt ammunition, but still, um, probably, probably not the yeah. best. So if you're thinking about using the the uh, judge as your primary defensive handgun, there's probably better options. I think it's Greg Elifritz's uh, review of the Taurus judge that, that I like the best mm-hmm. when he, he tests it in terms of shooting shot shells through it and buckshot and different things. And, you know, looks at the patterning of it and how accurate and consistent that pattering is. And then he shoots it with 45 long Colt, uh, and shoots it for accuracy for groups and that kind of thing. And his takeaway is it can shoot both and it does neither of them very well. Yeah. Uh, meaning that the patterning is very inconsistent. Um, and, and honestly, the, over, the power of the 410 shot shell out of a short platform like that, a short barrel like that, doesn't give you a whole lot, uh, you know, just from a penetration 
perspective. And so therefore it's not a consistent hand stopper and then doesn't shoot 45 long Colt very well because it can't have the same, uh, sharply cut grooves that you would in, in a standard pistol barrel rifling. So you, you don't get as good accuracy out of the pistol bullets that you shoot. And so that also hinders its ability to be as effective as we'd like it to be. So, it's a uh, it's a gimmicky gun that, like you said, I've shot them. They're fun. They're they're a hoot to shoot, but kind of pointless in my opinion in a self defense realm. There's far better options. Yeah. Cool. Matthew, why don't you take this next one? Uh, this is a story on local news eight, uh, which is ironic because this is also a local news station. Like people in Preston, Idaho, might very well pick up this station. Uh, this is a Southeast Idaho station, but it's reporting on a story from Mission Bend, Texas. Woman mistaken for burglar shot by son-in-law. Yeah, so this one uh, is is kind of a, a sad story. So um, basically, a woman, uh, th- this woman has a argument with her husband, um, has is intoxicated, leaves her. Um, her house with where her husband is um, because she wants to cool off. She goes over to her daughter and son-in-law um, son-in-law's house um, rings the doorbell. This is at night. Um, I forget the exact time it's, it's in the middle of the night. Um, actually it's, it, I'm trying to pull up the time. 3.30 a.m. Sorry, 3.30 a.m. So around 3.30 a.m., she's ringing the doorbell, pounding on the door. Um, nobody answers. She goes around to the back door and starts pounding on the glass. It alerts the uh, her daughter and son-in-law. Daughter thinks somebody's trying to break in. Son-in-law grabs a firearm um, and goes down to uh, confront whoever's trying to break in. Um, and... Uh, fires through the door. She hadn't breached the door, broken in, done anything. He fires, the son-in-law fires uh, shots through the back door and, um, and strikes the mother-in-law in the chest, back and left arm. Um, she's going to be okay. Uh, physically um, charges are not likely it says in the, in the report, but obviously um, it, it's going to strain the uh, son-in-law, mother-in-law relationship a little bit but you know this this goes back to our opening story about identifying your target knowing uh, understanding it's it is a threat it needs to be shot and um you know i can't imagine that he identified the threat if you know if he accidentally shot his mother-in-law so that's a a red flag that he didn't he just shot at a noise or somebody that he believed was trying to break in Um, this is I mean, we can go back to the basic stuff of communicating, right? Like not going down right to the door. Maybe you're in a different part of the house where you have a tactical advantage and you yell out, hey, you know, don't come in. I'm calling the police. I have a firearm. If you breach the door, you're going to get shot. At that point, hopefully the mother isn't so intoxicated, mother-in-law isn't so intoxicated that she can't formulate, hey, it's so-and-so, your mother-in-law, you know, or um, or call on the phone like so. Unfortunately, I think alcohol played a little bit of a role in this pro in, in this whole thing. Um, but ultimately, if you're shooting rounds, you got to know what you're shooting at. And he didn't. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, we've talked about these very same stories numerous times on the podcast. Uh, there's there's not much more that um, 
that we could that I can add to your analysis because you're spot on. Like, and and this was the story I was referring to earlier when I said that positive identification of a threat was going to come up again. Um, this was what I was referring to because again, we're shooting rounds through a door at something, something and someone we have not fully identified. Okay. And I get that, Hey, it's three 30 in the morning. Um, that's a rough time to be awakened for, you know, probably from a dead sleep. Uh, it's, it's, a little bit more difficult to be clear of mind in a situation like that. And all you know is that somebody is pounding on your door. But again, like, here's the thing, like they're pounding on the door, right? Like they haven't breached the house yet. You can set yourself up in a position of advantage where you can observe that door. You can be calling 911 and you can make the decision ahead of time that I'm not firing any shots until somebody breaches that door. Right. And then it becomes a lot more justifiable in terms of now they've actually, they are now legally classified as an intruder into the home. Until they've breached that, it's an attempted intrusion, but does not make them yet an intruder. Okay. So that's, and a lot of times I know that in these types of cases, they're, they're handled a lot the same way. Like we have other stories. In fact, we're going to, we have another story coming up where somebody shoots them from, through the door. And, and and rightfully and, le- and legally justifiably so, but that one's a little bit of a different story. And here's mm-hmm. the other thing: if that once that person breaches that door, like we still have to positively identify them. Okay, so having some sort of light source so that when they come through, we can light them up and go, "Yes, I know you," or "No, I don't know you," and you have just forced your way into this home. Like that's a totally different game, a totally different situation than shooting someone blindly through a door. Yeah. All right. So yeah, it's pretty unfortunate. It's, it's fortunate that she appears to be making a recovery. Right. But man, that's, that's a tough thing being shot by your, like I have a good relationship with my (laughs) (laughs) mother-in-law. I can't imagine being in this situation. (laughs) That would not be good. No. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's go on to now. Um, this is still a what not to do story. This one's really interesting. Um, and, and the what not to do is quite simple and straightforward because the, the initial actions I think are completely correct and justifiable. It's more of what the person chose to do with the gun once they decided it was it was warranted to uh, fire shots. Um, and so what happened here is this actually happened on a golf course in Dor- Dorchester, Dorchester, I don't know, Massachusetts. They probably pronounce it funny because it's Massachusetts. And a man was arrested, it says, after he allegedly tried to rob a woman before putting his hands around her neck and threatening to kill her uh, on Sunday. This was a few weeks ago. This happened actually on the golf course, okay, which is kind of crazy, or near the golf course. It says it was in the golf course, so I, I presume she was golfing. I don't know. Um, but it, the, several of the other witnesses were also golfers, so they were right there playing golf. They witnessed this happening. Uh, so this man approaches her, t- attempts to rob her, puts his hands on her throat, and says he's going to kill her. And one of the witnesses approach to try to intervene and says that the man reached towards his waistband while continuing to make threats. This witness then drew out their firearm and fired a single shot. And initially it says here away from anyone or any property. 
Um, this caused other people in the area to call 911. Hey, shots fired. Of course, people are going to call. And, and, and some people are going to be third-party witnesses that don't see everything and don't fully understand what's going on. So, of course, it's going to get their attention. Um, anyway, here then further down in the story. So, so apparently, this did get this man to break off his attack. He was unable to be held at bay until law enforcement arrived and arrested him. But then later in the story, it does say that the witness, the Good Samaritan trying to step in and save this woman's life, which she probably did, the shot he fired, it says he actually fired into the air. Mm -hmm. Um, Interesting how earlier it says away from anyone or any property. But if you're shooting shots into the air, that bullet's coming down somewhere. It's coming down on somebody's property and it might come down on somebody's head. So that's the what not to do here, guys. Um, warning shots we've preached about a number of times, generally not a good idea. I, in fact, I don't, I don't recall any story we've ever covered that I'm like, yeah, that made sense in that context. Yeah. Okay. Um, in this context, it's like, okay, if you, if you were going to fire a warning shot, Matthew, you're on a flipping golf course, bro. <laughs> like, meaning that you have this nice, soft turf covering hundreds of acres that you could have just fired it off into the ground and almost assuredly that bullet is just going to penetrate into the ground and not even fragment or ricochet or anything. Like, like th- if you are going to fire a warning shot, I can't think of a better place you would fire a warning <laughs> shot except into the turf on a golf course. Maybe if you're on a range, right? Like a, but, a pistol range. <laughs> sure. But this guy fires it into the air. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Don't do that, folks. Don't do that. It, you know, and, and I think um, what I read when I was looking at this, I just, this came to my mind and and maybe like, if you're listening to this, we always think about like the scenarios that we're going to be in and what we would do. And, and that's all good. Um, but I would think of the scenario that like you draw the firearm and the person says, okay, what are you going to do with it? Like, like this guy, like, okay, you have a firearm, you're pointing it at me. What are you going to do with it? Like, I have a knife. I'm going to either stab this lady or, you know, I'm going to let her go and stab you. But like, so think about not like the ideal solution or situation where they have a knife and you draw and you shoot them or they have a gun, like you draw your firearm and they're so out of it that they're like, okay, I, I'm, I'm not really concerned about you pointing a gun at me. What are you going to do? And they start walking towards you. Are you going to fire around in the ground, in the air? Are you going to reholster and go hands on? I mean, what, what is, what is your, you know, backup plan when pointing gun, because this is obviously his, his first plan was point gun problem solved. And when that didn't happen, it's like, it, I don't know if he, this is what he thought, but he, you know, I'm going to crank off some rounds into the air. Um, that might be your solution, but maybe there's a better place to aim those rounds, or maybe you do holster up and you go hands on. I don't know. Um, just something to think about. Yep. Agreed. Well, Matthew, tell us about, this is our first, what we have classified as a justified save story, a uh, story that you wrote on the california.concealedcarry.com site titled, Elderly Couple Lives, so they survive, in other words, One Home Invader in Critical Condition. Yep. This happened in Cathedral City, California, and basically- Now, now, now where is that? Uh, I believe it's up in- um, like a little bit north, um, near a little north of Sacramento. 
Not, not, not I don't believe it's in, in Southern California where oh, I was, right. but I'm not familiar with it. Um, but I probably should have looked that up. But anyways, so right now. so the this is an 85 year old uh, couple. They're in their home um, around 6 p.m. Dude comes into their home and says, "Get out of my home!" Starts threatening them. Um, you know these these two um, oh, Southern California near Palm Springs. Thanks, Randy. Yeah, I just found that it's <laughs> L.A. So. All right. So there you go. So, so anyways, so this dude comes in, demands that these two homeowners leave his home. Um, they, in the report, the, the homeowners are trying to deescalate the situation and, and talk to this guy and say, Hey, maybe you're mistaken. This is our home. Please leave. We're not going to leave. This is not your home. Um, and that doesn't work out well because he, the, the, the guy who breaks in says he's going to kill them. Um, at this point, the homeowner, the 85-year-old guy, um, grabs a firearm and shoots the guy uh, who just came in. And um, and he's taken to uh, the hospital in critical condition. Um, homeowners are uninjured physically. Um, and this was just a good, good story because I, I looked at this as, you know, the, these are two 85 year old, uh, you know, 85 year old couple, my dad's 85. Um, and I would imagine him trying to fight somebody off, um, you know, maybe 10 years ago, 20 years ago, but at 85, um, it's very difficult to fight. And had they not had a firearm to, to, to defend their, themselves, who knows what this, this dude would have done to them. Right. So, yeah. um, yeah, really, really positive story in my book. Yep. Yeah. I mean, not a ton, ton here, you know, as far as like to break down and analyze, um, you know, I guess one thing would be, how did this man gain, gain access to their home? You know, like mm-hmm. a good reminder to always check, uh, security of your home, uh, do anything you can to beef things up. Probably the big noteworthy thing here is that these are uh, clearly elderly people. Uh, 85 years old was the the man that fired the shot. Uh, so that tells me, you know, like, hey, good on you for uh, being able to still defend yourself, even though physically speaking, you're probably at a quite a bit of a disadvantage against uh, what I assume. Did it say the age of the suspect? But, you know, either uh, way, like, yeah. It's not common that we see uh, elderly people breaking into elderly people's homes. So, <laughs> anyway, so uh, kudos to them for uh, you know being able to again. And I think you know they, they they took steps to try to put a stop to the situation to de-escalate to get the man to leave before he used deadly force. I'm not saying that's always the right answer, but it shows that there was a a uh, uh, a what's the word an unwillingness, you know, a, a hesitation to use deadly force, but then was able to use deadly force when it was determined it must, must be done. So, and I'd say in a state like California, I mean, granted, like, yes, even in California, there are laws that protect people in, in their homes as it relates to being able to use deadly force to defend you and your, your family or your occupants of your home. But uh, I'd say in a state like California, it's good to show that there's a, a, a lack of desire to use daily force um, probably just looks better. But anyway, it yeah. looks better in any situation, frankly. Sure. Like, Hey, I did not want to do this, but felt I had to because of X, Y, Z, you know, reasons. Yeah. Going now to WTKR.com, Newport news, Virginia. 
There was a man there charged with attempted capital murder after a gun battle with Newport, Newport news officers at Port Warwick. Uh, basically what happened here is at Port Warwick, uh, p- police were trying to track down a wanted man. It was around 10 45 AM. They were trying to serve a fugitive with outstanding warrants. Um, and he was located in an apartment complex there. Uh, interestingly enough, the 22 year old suspect's last name is coward. So he was <laughs> hiding from the police and he, his name is coward. Anyway. Um, so they, 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 they located him in this apartment complex, but he ran away through a neighboring area there. He actually entered a business and exited that business while officers gave chase. That chase ensued, uh, in, in the area of Nat Turner Road, it says the suspect then began to fire officers who returned to fire. No one was hit by any of those rounds at that time. Um, a bystander then says who has a concealed carry permit is said to have then also confronted the man, which gave officers enough time to get him to take to get to him to take him into custody. Apparently, it says a little bit uh, further down that. Uh, and actually it's, it's quoting from the police chief, chief drew is his name. Uh, he actually thanked the good Samaritan concealed carrier. He says, quote, he was able to hold him and detain him for a brief second as officers made it up the embankment and took Mr. Coward into custody. I really want to thank the young man that did engage him and assisted the police today. He did an amazing job. Hmm. So this concealed carrier, uh, apparently a young man, based on this police chief's description, uh, was able to create just enough of a distraction and, um, you know, interrupt things there to, long enough for these officers. Apparently, they had to get up an embankment, so climb up, climb up a hill, to get to where this suspect was, and was able to do so. And 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 again, nobody had had to actually get shot. I mean, there were some shots fired. Uh, no one was struck. Um, even this concealed carrier that intervened did not have to fire shots, um, but was able to to intervene successfully and safely. Now, generally not advisable to do here, right? I mean, we know the suspect fired shots at police, so who's to say he wouldn't have just shot this concealed carrier? Don't know all the you know specifics of the circumstances here, but somehow this uh, concealed carrying permittee was able to intervene, draw his own weapon and, uh, but you know, draw or, or uh, bring this to a conclusion without any harm to himself or others. So pretty wild. Yeah. Thank God he was okay. We we've covered stories where people intervene to help police and end up getting killed. Right. So um, obviously this, this was a, a, a better story um, in that respect. And I think it, it also, one thing I took away was that, um, you know, sometimes we're told, and I think um, some school staff and things like that are told, well, if there's an active shooter, just comply or or don't fight back. And that couldn't be further from the truth because we see time and time again, and not, not that this was an active shooter or anything like that, or this person had to intervene. But um, when when average people intervene against somebody who's you know, committing crimes or, or wants to get away or, or intent on doing something wrong. Um, sometimes it's just enough to throw them off where um, other people 
who are, in this case, it was police, can do the work and, and, and take somebody into custody or disarm them. You see, you know, unarmed teachers intervening um, against somebody who's armed and wrestling a gun out or uh, those guys that were on a, a train in Paris or in France somewhere. They wrestled that AK out of a dude's hand when it jammed and stuff. So, um, yeah, I, I just think a mindset of like, if you're going to get involved, right, like um, make sure that you know, you, you count the cost, but, um, also if, if you have no other options, then anything is better than nothing to, to engage that person. So ask yourself the question every day, you're carrying a gun and, and you leave your home, you know, like, what am I willing to give up my life for? And by that, your literal life, uh, your financial security, right? Your freedom, all of that, right? What are you willing to give up? Okay. Yeah. Uh, number one job, number one purpose for me is take care of my family and get home to them so I can do so. Um, you know, but you got to answer that, that question for yourself. What's your mission? Okay. You know, is it getting involved in other people's problems? Because I'll tell you, it'd be a lot easier to just let the police continue to deal with that situation um, and, and focus on, getting yourself to a position of cover or away from the area where this incident is taking place. Uh, that'll be far safer for you. Anyway, just, just things to consider. All right. Man shot while break, trying to break into girl ex-girlfriend's apartment. This on WPXI.com Mount Oliver, Pennsylvania. Tell us about this one, Matthew. Yeah, this happened, uh, like you said, Mount Oliver, PA, around 8.30 in the morning. Um, what happens is a 19-year-old woman um, is living in an apartment. She has an ex-boyfriend who obviously has anger management issues, um, comes to the apartment angry at his ex-girlfriend and tries to force his, um, his way into the home or into the apartment um, and they're unbeknownst to him, or maybe that's why he was coming over there. There is a, a, a friend that's of this woman that's already inside the apartment. Uh, he's armed with a firearm and shoots uh, the, the ex-boyfriend who's trying to, uh, to, uh, get into the apartment. Um, guy leaves. He's injured. He jumps in his vehicle, takes off. Um, but he was, uh, they, they found him in the vehicle. He's taken to the hospital. He looks like he's going to be physically okay. Um, but the, and this is pretty cut and dry, right? Guy, ex-boyfriend tries to break in. Uh, another person's there, defends, uh, the woman against the ex and, uh, with, with a firearm. Um, what was interesting about this was the intrude. The, the ex-boyfriend is 21 years old. The woman is 19, and in most um, states, if you if you think about it, um, you know you can't possess a firearm unless or a handgun unless you're over 21, or certainly can't can't get a concealed carry uh, license unless you're 21. In many states, some have lowered that various reasons and military and stuff like that. But in general, um, you can't carry a concealed handgun unless you're 21. So this woman who's 19, let's say this doesn't happen inside her apartment. This happens out on the street, right? Like 
by law, she wouldn't be able to defend herself with the firearm. So um, this calls into question, you know, and then we've talked about it. It's not a legal issue, legal episode, but like we've talked about it, like what, what is the, the arbitrary age of 21 to have, to be able to possess a, a handgun, um, but you can possess a, a long gun, like a rifle or a shotgun at 18. So um, we've kind of become accustomed to saying, oh, well, you know, you can possess a long gun if you're 19, but not a handgun. And we're all like, yeah, that, you know, we just kind of accept it. But why are we accepting that? Because there's 19 year olds that need to be protect self-defense as well. They live on their own. 18 year olds, um, they live on their own. They're signing up for the military. They're voting. They're doing all kinds of things that adults do. So um, this this brought that that kind of uh, issue to to the forefront, I think, for me. Yeah. I agree. Let's go now to. Oh, um, actually, no, you covered that. So let's go now to kidnapping at elementary school stopped by armed teacher. Uh, this on utah.concealedcarry.com. Again, this is one I saw get a fair amount of social media attention over the last week or two. This happened on May 20-something, 25th, I think, or yeah. thereabouts. Mm-hmm. Um, this was a situation on an elementary school playground. This is where it started. And actually, what happened is a man approached a child, a student, on the playground. A teacher, who happened to be armed, actually intervened. And my understanding now, you could correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding is initially there was a confrontation on the playground. The teacher managed to uh, basically get children away from the man. The man confronted the, the, so the attempted kidnapper, uh, as far as we could tell, it's what the situation appeared to be, um, came up to the entrance or the doors of the school where another altercation you know happened and that the school teacher drew his gun at that point and you know by virtue of the gun being present was enough to get this man to 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 stop to to cease trying to come into the school or to approach or take any of these students um it's pretty cool thing i mean because this is very evidently a situation where something very bad was prevented by an armed teacher. We don't see very many of these examples because number one, just how many schools out there where teachers are actually able to be armed. Uh, There's not that many. Um, Yeah. So interestingly enough, Utah for almost 20 years now, the better part of 20 years, 15, 16 years, something like that, has had their law to where you can carry concealed on on K through 12 campuses and any public campus for that matter, any college, university, or K through 12 campus. I mean, we talk about it in the context of teachers, but my understanding is that anyone with a permit in Utah can actually carry concealed on, on school grounds, which is pretty awesome, if you ask me. And when we look at the history of incidents on school campuses in Utah, there's like, I'm not aware of any mass shootings that have, that have occurred on school campuses in, in Utah. I'm not aware of 
many crimes that have been committed on campuses by those carrying guns, whether concealed carry permittees or otherwise. Um, There are a few incidents, there's no doubt, where teachers or others have had accidental discharges on school grounds. I know of one for sure that happened in a bathroom by a teacher. Um, And there's been a, a handful of others, but to my knowledge, no one's ever been injured by a gun that was carried on campus uh, legally in in the state of Utah. And again, no mass shootings. So just kind of an interesting little backstory to the great state of Utah in this regard, for sure. Um, So, and again, what it appears to be an attempted abduction prevented by an armed teacher on this this happened in Orm, if I'm not mistaken. Or was it Ogden? Ogden. 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 Excuse me. Yep. I knew it started with O. <laughs> yeah. There was, I mean, it's a good story. Um, I can't really add much other than, you know, I, I know there's a lot of pushback about from some parents that say like, oh, I, I, I don't want to. It scares me to have teachers with firearms. I, I don't know. We can't, you know, um, pr- trust teachers to be armed with my child at school. Well, you're, you're trusting, you're, you're, you're giving your children under the care of, of these teachers anyways. I mean, you would hope that, um, that the people that are teaching your kids and are responsible for making sure your kid doesn't wander off the, off the playground or, or off the school grounds and get kidnapped or something. Um, you would hope that they would have enough confidence, uh, or, or responsibility to, if they're going to carry a firearm to be, relatively trained and safe with the firearm. Right. And so, um, you know, I, I, I give kudos to this guy for stepping up and, 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 you know, protecting the kid. Yeah. 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 You're exactly right. I I entrust my kids teach teachers every day that I drop them off at school Mm -hmm. uh, to keep them safe. You know, while I applaud the Utah model here, because again, there's not, any specific training that's required other than to the training that's necessary to obtain a permit. But uh, um, I, I could get on board at least with states and other local jurisdictions and school boards that would permit teachers to carry on school grounds if they went through a specific training curriculum or program uh, that was reasonable anyway, and ideally funded by the school district. But uh, you just because, you know, at least that's something. Uh, I think that, you know, our, our teachers should have, for those that want to, should have an option mm-hmm. to be able to properly and appropriately defend themselves and our children on school grounds. But, yeah. of course, that's such a, such a controversial thing. You know, I, when I was involved with some local school district-related uh, 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 you know, the, we went through this whole, I even talked a, a little bit about it a while back. It's a couple of years ago now, uh, where our, my, my kid's school district was going through this, um, there's a safety and security committee or, or commission, if you will, that was looking at our schools and current weaknesses and threat potentials and so forth and, and coming up with a better plan for our school's safety and security in our district. And the topic was brought up about, um, you know, allowing people on campus, including teachers, to be armed and carrying concealed. Um, unfortunately, it didn't go anywhere, really. But uh, 
I remember having a conversation with one of the higher ups in the school district. Um, you know, like like his ne- his immediate supervisor was the superintendent, and had an interesting conversation where I pointed out to him because I asked him specifically. I said, "What concerns do you have about your teachers in this district having a pathway?" to where they could actually carry a gun concealed on campus. And he shared with me some of what his thoughts were. And I just pointed out to him that number one, some of what I thought were, um, were, what's the word, you know, where I don't think he was quite accurate in, 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 in some of those concerns uh, as far as whether they were actually concerns or not. And I pointed out to him the fact that Utah has allowed this for like 15 years. And that was news to him. And it was, it felt good at least educate a, again, this is like a very high up person in our school district to point out to him, Hey, there are places where this sort of thing has existed for a number of years. And you can, um, I just told him, I said, I would encourage you to research that and just see what, you know, how your things that you're concerned about are really non-issues because it's been, we have a 15 year case study of a state where this has been done. Mm-hmm. And it was, I think it was a positive exp- uh, experience or discussion. Anyway, we need to get here to the end. Um, Matthew, tell us about this story out of White Settlement. Um, this must be Texas. Yeah. Man fatally shoots brother-in-law with AR-type rifle. This is yeah. on NBCDFW.com. Yeah, this happened at uh, twelve fifteen p.m. So it says a man has died after his brother-in-law shot him through an apartment door. Uh, Friday afternoon following a domestic disturbance. So uh, basically what happens is um, the husband um, is comes to this apartment to see his children um, and it's his his brother and uh, um, the uh, this person who's coming to the house, uh, this man's brother-in-law is inside the home and he's pounding on the door saying he wants to come in and see his kids. Uh, they don't open the door. Instead, they go down into uh, like a lower level of this apartment um, away from the, the front door. And um, the brother-in-law arms himself with a, it. The, the report says or the article says an AR type rifle. So uh, some sort of AR type rifle, assuming just like an AR-15. Um, and the man who's come to see his kids fires a shotgun round through the front door. Um, so at this point, this is a little different than the mother-in-law who's pounding on the door at, you know, wanting access. Um, this person's actually trying to breach the door and using deadly force in the process of it. So this guy fires uh, rounds through from the AR through the door, um, striking um, the the man at the door, um, and he ends up dying. The guy who was hit with the uh, with the AR fifteen rounds, and uh, nobody else is injured. The the guy the, the shotgun blast did not hit anybody, um, but yeah, he was uh, he was taken to the hospital and died there. So. Um, you know, right now it looks like a total cut and dry self-defense, but this is one of those things where, you know, people say nobody needs an AR-15, but um, it, it, you know, we, we talk about it all the time. The reasons why it is a very easily, you know, easy shootable rifle. It's uh, very good for home defense and self-defense. And uh, yeah, he, he ended up using it 
uh, well. And uh, yeah, it's a good outcome. Not a great outcome that the guy died, but it's a good outcome that no nobody that was you know, going to be an innocent victim killed by this guy. Cause I, you know, domestic violence is, is situation, especially if somebody's armed uh, and they're angry, it, that would probably turn into, you know, a homicide, suicide type situation or a barricaded mm-hmm. dude inside. And um, who knows who else would have died in that, in that process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the one thing again is we're shooting through doors and mm-hmm. while it's at this point, you know, this guy's a threat, right? That's not the issue. The issue is how do you know exactly his position behind that door? Mm-hmm. Um, and this occurred in an apartment, it said. So, you know, granted, there's different layouts for different apartments, but there's a high probability that a missed shot going through this door from this AR is going into someone else's unit or going elsewhere that poses a threat to somebody. So, so that's the one questionable aspect of all this, but this is a crazy situation. I mean, I mean, these are all family members, right? We've got, uh, and apparently one lives downstairs, one lives upstairs. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they're directly under or above each other, but that doesn't really matter. It just talks about how, uh, you know, th- this husband who was in this domestic incident with his wife goes downstairs where she's hiding with her, her, I guess her brother. It just says that this guy is yeah. his brother-in-law. Mm-hmm. That could be in a couple of different ways. But um, fortunately, none of the innocent parties were harmed. No other bystanders or those in, uh, other occupants of other units were harmed. So that's all well. Um, crazy situation. I mean, the fact that this, this guy fires a shotgun through the door. Um, at that point, this is this is a desperate person. This is a desperate threat. Because you're firing a shotgun through doors, like you know, there's the potential behind that door that your wife that you're clearly trying to harm, or also your children, mm-hmm. you know, maybe behind those door that door. Um, but yet you're firing a shotgun through that. You know, I can see this as, hey, dude's firing a shotgun at me. I must return fire, and like I don't blame this guy at all for firing what is presumably blindly through a door with his AR. And clearly got got the job done and no one else got harmed. So that is good as far as that's concerned. It's just, again, the the whole question of firing through doors in the first place. Just Mm got to really be thinking about that. Um, My goodness. I just, it's hard for me to wrap my head around, you know. uh, I mean, just imagine yourself having to shoot and kill uh, another family member. And it it does happen. We've covered a number of stories over the years where that's happened. Final story out of Arkansas. Published on Arkansas.concealedcarry.com. Good guy with guns stops mass shooting. Now, Matthew, I feel like we talked about this one. I don't know why I feel that way. I mean, I know that you and I may have very well have talked about it. I, but, uh, anyway. as I was putting this this outline together, I had to go back and say, did we cover this in a in a different defensive gun use uh, episode? But we hadn't. And feel like it came up yeah. somewhere, but it only happened, you know, a few weeks ago. Yeah. May 15th, according to this story, um, dude appears to be kind of crazy. Uh, for whatever reason, he grabs a rifle and starts shooting rounds randomly. Um, people, This happened in an apartment complex. Uh, so residents came out of the apart- their apartments to see what was going on. <clears throat> That's a clue. Okay. When, you, when there are people shooting rounds, 
uh, and this happens more often than you than you would mm-hmm. think, mm-hmm. where people they come out of the woodworks to see what's going on. Instead, you should be hitting the deck, right? Making you know, doing everything you can to take cover. But uh, people start coming out of their apartments, trying to see, figure and you know, figure out what's going on. Um, this man actually follows an 87-year-old woman into her apartment and shoots and kills her right inside there. Okay. Mm-hmm. He um, continues to uh, pose a threat to this community of, of apartment dwellers, and a man uh, grabs his own rifle, and it says it was a hunting-type rifle, um, but he engages this shooter and shoots and kills him. Mm-hmm. before police could respond, before anybody else could do anything. Uh, I'm sure 911 call was probably made by that point, or, or I mean, it seems likely anyway, but uh, that's pretty remarkable. I mean, this the way this was going down, the fact that he was basically shooting at anyone he could seem to see and was just trying to, I don't know, he's just trying to terrorize this little community. Um could have gone a lot more sideways than it did. I mean, it was unfortunate that this woman, 87 year old Lois Hicks was her name. She lost her life, unfortunately, in all of this, but others likely would have lost their lives and responding police officers Mm -hmm. may have been in great jeopardy. Here's a, here's one thing that's interesting to consider in situations like this. And I know we talk about the being careful to engage in situations that aren't your problem, Except that this guy, like this, this kind of is his problem potentially, right? I mean, like you could just hunker down and try to play it safe, but yet this guy, this this threat is in your community, shooting at people and shooting at various random things and places. And so, here here's the advantage that a private individual like our good Samaritan here has over, say, law enforcement. Once law enforcement respond. The, the bad guy knows precisely who they are and where they are based on nature of their response. They're going to roll up in units, lights flashing, sirens going most, most likely. Okay. So like they don't have the element of surprise and they may not know precisely where the threat is located. Meanwhile, you have a private citizen that he, he does have the element of surprise and he can emerge from somewhere, from a place of cover even, that is not going to be readily obvious or apparent to this bad guy and able to engage him and shoot him and take him out before he maybe even has any idea that this good Samaritan is there, that this good guy is there, right? Mm-hmm. So that's that's the tactical advantage that existed in this situation. That That's why I say I believe it's highly probable that this good guy may have saved law enforcement lives at the very least, because when they rolled up, who knows where the, you know, they could have been shot from just about anywhere and it would have been hard for them to, to see and know where that's coming from in some cases. And so this, this good guy really, I mean, just a phenomenal job to put an end to this, uh, to this active shooter. It was an active shooter at, you know, by definition, Maybe not mass shooter by nature of only one person being shot and killed, but an active shooter situation, it was, and it was ended. Yeah, and and even in the article, um, as I was doing research, uh, he was actively just shooting indiscriminately into people's apartments and would have continued until he either got killed by police, ran out of ammunition, or was killed. Like, there was no reason why he would stop, right? And so... um, 
it w- absolutely needed somebody to intervene at that point. And um, I think you you talked about a tactical advantage. This is why rifles, a common sporting rifle like the AR-15 or or rifles in general are really an important tool. Yeah, a handgun is great, but in a situation like this, it, the, the apartment complex, is, it, it, from the pictures, it looks like it's pretty wide and spread out. And if somebody's shooting indiscriminately with a rifle, maybe not, you might not be able to get up close enough to take a, a, a decent pistol shot that might be incapacitating within, you know, the first round or two, right? So being able to engage from at least a, a little bit further distance with the rifle probably gave this guy um, a, an additional tactical advantage and the element of surprise as well, because he was able to reach out and, and strike this guy uh, at a little bit of a distance. Mm-hmm. And still remain pretty accurate, you know, whereas, you know, if you take a 50 yard shot with a pistol, it's a little bit harder than with an AR-15. So. So that brings us to a conclusion of all the stories we had lined up today. I told you it was a bunch. Mm-hmm. We are a bit over time, uh, but hopefully you got a lot out of this episode today. Again, I see these stories a lot as, um, you know, being a great opportunity for us to uh, you know, to, to, to put our minds and our feelings and everything into these kind of situations uh, and, uh, you know, just give it some thought. There's a lot of questions that are raised, a lot of opportunities to think through similar problems that just broadens our perspective of these types of events and hopefully makes it a little bit better prepared and a little bit more mindful in our approach. If at some point down the road, which I hope it never does happen to any of you, but hey, we recognize that these things do sometimes happen. I mean, clearly based on the stories, we just hope that you're a little bit better prepared and able to handle yourself should you find yourself in such a situation. We need to announce our weekly podcast giveaway winner. Guys, a reminder each week. All right. Don't forget. Get signed up for the weekly giveaway by going to concealedcarry.com forward slash podcast prize. You do need to sign up at least once each week if you're going to be included in each week's drawing. Okay, so this week, Matthew, what are we giving away? This week, we're giving away uh, Draw Like a Pro course. That was uh, the the digital uh, course featuring Riley T. Bowman. Yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> and, and our social, our, really our marketing and manager, Mitch. social media managers, uh, Mitch is in there as well. Does yeah. A great job. Yeah. Uh, it's a good little video and guys, uh, giving away one of those today, Matthew, here's a drum roll for who's our lucky winner. The winner for draw like a pro is Joshua C. Joshua, you are the lucky winner. Congratulations, Joshua. Matthew will get in touch with you to notify you and get you set up with your access to a copy of the Draw Like a Pro training video. Mm-hmm. Next week, looks like we're giving away a SWAT T tourniquet. That is correct. All right. So this this from Mountain Man Medical. Um, you know, here's the thing with SWAT T tourniquets. They're not, in my opinion, the best tourniquets but they are probably the most versatile tourniquets because uh, the reason why the SWAT T tourniquets go in pretty much every kit that Mountain Man Medical sells 
is because of how multi-purpose and multi-use they are, meaning they can make all kinds of improvised. You can make improvised splints with them. You can make improvised uh, uh, pressure dressings and compression uh, bandages. Uh, you, you can use them as a tourniquet. You know, there, there's some practice involved. I, I encourage you to uh, get one of those as well. If, you, if you're going to carry one, practice with using one as a tourniquet because they are a little more, they're not quite as straightforward to use as, say, just a cat tourniquet or a soft T wide. So, anyway, one lucky winner this next week for a SWAT T tourniquet from Mountain Man Medical. Go get signed up at concealedcarry.com forward slash podcast prize. Well, guys, we need to wrap it up and let you go. Thanks for being here with us for another one. We will let you go with a reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. A reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.